I turned my, okay, good. Jonathan and I had a whole discussion of how I have a really bad habit of turning my mic on and off the opposite of what it needs to be. But I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. It's a joy to worship with you. And can we show some thanks and praise for this incredible worship band? I've just been blown away by them this morning, and so it was so nice to worship here with you. Um, when Jonathan gave me a call to tell me about the series that we were talking about, Unforgettable Women, and before he could even finish, I said, of course, it makes so much sense that you're calling me a series about myself, Unforgettable Women, right? But then he very kindly um, continued to say, women of the Bible. And so while I was a little less excited to not be preaching about myself, I was even more excited to be talking about women of the Bible. Because, you know, this, this kind of sermon series, women of the Bible, is not really a thing. I don't know if you know that or not, but this is not something that you'll find in a lot of churches. Sure, there are several studies, typically women's studies about women of the Bible, or you might hear a sermon on Mary during Christmas time, or Mary, maybe Mary and Martha, or maybe the woman at the well, but you don't typically hear hear a whole sermon series about women of the Bible. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to, to be here with you. And when Jonathan reached out, I started thinking about all of the women that I might want to talk about or, or what particular woman God would have for us to discuss this morning. And believe it or not, there are tons of women to choose from in the Bible. Women like Phoebe and Lydia and Huldah and Hannah. But I just kept coming back the more I thought about it, to a woman named Deborah. And if you haven't heard of Deborah before, she comes in towards the very beginning of our faith story as a people in the book of Judges at the very, very front of your Bible. And you know, Judges is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and people kind of think that's a little weird, and it can make um, some conversations a little awkward because, you know, when people are all around and they're talking about what their favorite book of the Bible is or their favorite verses, people are like, oh, I love Philippians because, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then someone's like, oh, I love Romans because all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And I'm like, oh, I love judges because there's this crazy cycle of just total like depravity and people are really hopeless and it's, and it doesn't go over quite as well. But it's not really the hopelessness that I love about judges, though as a Falcons fan right now, I can truly relate, um, relate to that, to that feeling. But it is this cycle that we find in Judges that I'm so interested in. And it's this loop that the people of God, the Israelite people, continue to find themselves in over and over and over again through the book of Judges. And the cycle goes a little something like this. The people of God become super disobedient to what God is telling them to do. They, they get into all sorts of shenanigans, if you will. And the longer and longer they spend away from God, the worse and worse it gets. And so God allows for consequences to happen, for things to continue to happen because the people of God are being so disobedient. But in their disobedience, they become extraordinarily desperate. Right? And desperate is something, a, a word that y'all talked about last week, this place that we come into our lives where there's no hope, there's nothing else. God is the only way out. Desperate, right? And so in their desperation, someone says, hey, 
Have you ever thought about the fact that when we're actually doing what God calls us to do, that things aren't so bad? Have you ever thought about the fact that when we're actually following the ways of God, like, and we're on God's side, that things aren't totally chaos? And so from their desperation, they begin to call out to God, right? And God always shows up for them. And this is the cycle that we see over and over in Judges. Disobedience, desperation, deliverance from God. And it keeps going on and going on. But the interesting thing about Judges is every time the cycle resets, so every time the people realize that they're desperate, they realize they need God, they call out, God delivers them, eventually they fall away again. And the cycle comes right back around. But what happens as judges is each time the cycle comes back around, it takes a little longer and things get a little worse. And it continues through all these judges until the end, the people are in total hopelessness. So that's a really happy story to start your Sunday morning off with, right? I know. So we're going to start towards the beginning of Judges where things aren't so hopeless. And our story of, of Deborah comes in. She's the fourth judge in the book of Judges. And immediately, one of the most interesting things to me about Deborah, about this incredible woman in the Bible, is her introduction. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Judges. We're going to go to Judges 4. It's towards the front of your Bible. It's after Joshua, but it's before everything else. And our reading for today is going to start at verse 4, but I'm going to start a little before that in verse 3 to give us some background. And so the Word of God says this, Then the Israelites called out to the Lord for help, because they had been oppressed cruelly for 20 years. Now verse 4 is where we come in. This is where we are introduced to Deborah, okay? Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lepidoth, was leading Israel at the time was leading Israel at the time. That's the introduction that we get. Deborah was a prophet leading Israel. That's it. And I love it. Do you know why I love it? Because that's the exact same introduction that the three judges before her got and all of the judges after her get. It's the same, and it's beautiful because why? Wow, Bible, this is the first time you've ever introduced to us a woman as leading the nation of Israel, and it doesn't skip a beat, right? It doesn't, it doesn't find a reason to say, it doesn't say, look, everybody, look, we've got a woman here. How progressive of us, how cool. Don't you want to come to our church now, right? It doesn't say any of those things. It simply says, now Deborah, the wife of Lepidoth, was leading or judging in Israel. No disclaimers, no qualifications, no need to explain why, no need to say, now here's the reason we got a lady up in here, okay? No need for any of that. Just a simple statement of fact. A woman was leading in Israel. And it goes on to the next point. So let's continue. Into verse 5, it says, She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Y'all been there, right? You know what I'm talking about. And the Israelites went up to her and have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abimnam, 
of Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men, 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you're not going, if you don't go, I won't go. Deborah responds, certainly I will go with you, but because of this course that you're taking, the honor is not going to be yours. The honor is going to be the Lord, and the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Such a small set of words, lots of words that maybe we don't know how to say them or what they mean, but they've got a lot of information in them. So let's first remember where we're at in the judges' cycle. So the people have fallen away, right? Things got crazy, and they started calling out to God. And so God delivers them. And in Judges, the way God delivers people is by appointing a judge to help the nation. And so that's the part that we're at in the cycle. And things have been really, really bad for the Israelites, for the people of God, because they've been oppressed by the Canaanites, all right? And Sisera is the leader of the Canaanite military. And he's the one that's been responsible for the last 20 years of making sure these people are oppressed. And through the oppression, the people have called out to God, and God has given them Deborah. And so God gives Deborah a word, and Deborah calls her number one guy, her military leader, right? And she, and she tells them what God has for his army to do. She says, here's what's up. And Barak's response is a little interesting, though. It's a little strange. He says, all right, I hear what you're saying. If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. It's an interesting little phrase that has actually sparked a lot of debate about it. Why did he say this to her? You know, some scholars believe that it was his way of showing insubordination, right? That no one would ever question the leader of a country. It was his way of being disrespectful to Deborah. But other scholars, John Wesley included, think it's something a little deeper than that. They think it's showing Barak's lack of faith, showing his weakness. But it makes sense his hesitation. Because before this whole thing, the Bible mentions what the Canaanite army looks like. And the Canaanite army is pretty intense. The Bible says over and over again that they have 900 chariots made out of iron. And this is a point that the author wants you to know. And so I'm assuming that's because I don't think the Israelite people had 900 chariots made out of iron in addition to all of their other military personnel. And so Deborah was asking Barak to risk the lives of 10,000 of his men just because God said to do it, just because it's going to be all right. She asked him to risk the life of 10,000 people when everything else says there's no way that we're going to make it out of this alive. So Barak wants her to come with him. Fear is his response. 
But Deborah's response is even more interesting. Instead of belittling him or rebuking him for his lack of respect or lack of faith, Deborah agrees to go with him and throws in that great little jab. Husbands are very familiar with this, with their wives, giving them that older shoulder, you know, in your, in your rib cage, and says, all right, I'll go with you, but then all the glory, all the honor, it's going to go to a girl. And spoiler alert, it does. So from the start of this story, Deborah shows a different side of leadership than what we're familiar with in the biblical text this far. She's obviously faithful and attuned to the heart of God, which is something very different than the judges that will follow her. But she's also no-nonsense, and she's direct, and she's willing to risk her own life for what she believes God has laid out for all of them. It's also interesting because when Barak says this to her, she doesn't say, all right, fine. I'll go find someone better. I'll go find someone more brave. I'll go find someone with more faith. Her leadership ability here is so interesting because instead of just moving on to the next person, she walks with him. She pushes him towards God. She helps show him how God is going to be faithful to all of them. Deborah teaches us the importance of patience and steadfastness. She teaches us the ability to seek wisdom from God and to remain committed to the message when people and positions tell us that we should let it go. She teaches us how to lead like a lady. And it works. It totally works. God shows up in really mighty ways. In the verses that follow, Barak calls the army. He does what Deborah says, and she goes with him. And the general Sesera arrives. And can you picture this in your mind? You're, you're standing at the foot of a mountain, and surrounding you on all sides is a massive army. And you've got, you've got lots of guys, but you don't, have, you don't have what they've got, right? And so you can almost see Barak take a breath, take a big gulp, and look out all around him. And can't you just see Deborah standing next to him like, you're going to go? Move on. Come on. And so after, after some pause and after some waiting, Deborah says this in verse 14, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sesera into your hands. The Lord indeed is going out before you. Go! Get on with it! Go! And so Barak does. He just runs down the mountain into the chariots. And the Bible says something really extraordinary happens, right? The Israelites start winning. Rain start coming, lightning and thunder. The scripture even says that the stars are fighting on the sides of the Israelites. And the army is completely devastated, destroyed. And Barak and Deborah stand there victorious. In their doubt, in the unknown, when the odds seemed insurmountable, they were victorious. God was victorious. And so then Deborah sings a song about it. But before that happens, one tiny little thing needs to be taken care of. See, when we were all paying attention to the lightning and the thunder and stars fighting, I don't even know what that looks like, but it's got to be super cool, right? When all of that's happening, General Cicero is like, oh, this is bad. This is going down fast. 
And so he totally abandons his army. He runs away from them, and he goes to the tent of jail. And this is a woman, and, and, and she seems nice and friendly, but more importantly, her husband and Sisera have a pact of safety. So he goes into this house, and he knows if he's not defeated, then his army isn't defeated. And so he asks for some water, and she goes the extra mile because she's hospitable, and she gives, gives him some milk to drink. And he gets relaxed, and he lays down for a nice slumber. And as he's sleeping, she very calmly picks up a tent peg and drills it through his head. I kid you not, y'all didn't see that coming, did you, if you didn't know the story, right? So he's sleeping, he's chill, everything's fine, and she picks up a tent peg and drills it through the man's head. And then she goes, finds the rest of the army, and she's like, y'all looking for Sisera? And they're like, yeah, you know where he's at? She's like, yeah, I think he's sleeping in my tent. <laughs> Deborah was right, indeed, that God would deliver Sisera literally into the hands of a woman. So really this story that I picked is a twofer of women in the Bible, right? But it shows some really interesting aspects of women, two different sides, wise and calm and patient. And then with jail, though, fierce and active and prepared, right? And it's powerful that these two women are who deliver the entire nation of Israel. Two women. And it's powerful for the Bible to say, and it's powerful for the Bible to say that with no modifiers, right? No modifications placed on, him, on them. And here's what I mean by modifier. You hear it all the time. Let me give you some examples. Oh, wow. He's so well-spoken for such a young man. Or, man, that guy, he, he gets technology, you know, for an old man. Or some of your lunch conversations might be today, you know, she preached pretty okay for a woman, right? But the Bible doesn't have any of that. The Bible doesn't have any modifiers. It doesn't say, yeah, jail hit that tent peg like a girl, right? It doesn't say Deborah ran the country like a woman. I think that's why the Bible doesn't make a big deal about introducing Deborah at the start of it, right? Because I don't think it's a story about what a woman can do or cannot do. It's a story about what God can do through people who say yes. It's a story about God's people following God's call. And why is that important for us today? Because each of us place modifiers on ourselves all the time. All the time. Here's what I mean. We feel called to serve the homeless, but we tell ourselves we're not wealthy enough to make a difference, so we just don't. Or, or we really want to make a difference in our local community, but we tell ourselves that we're not well-spoken enough to be heard, so we just never bother speaking. 
or we feel called to some type of ministry. We've come to church and we've heard a message or in our small groups and we've heard something that stirs the heart of ministry within us. We feel this call, but we come up with all these reasons why we're not the right person for it. We're either we're too young or we're too old or we're too this or we're too that. We give ourselves all these modifications, all of these modifiers that God never placed on us. God never constrained us with. And we don't let God move because we're too scared of modifications we've placed on ourselves. We see these God-sized dreams and God-sized visions placed on us. But instead of stepping into this dream that God gives us, we step back in fear. This story of Deborah is powerful because it's a story of people without modification. It's a story of a woman leaning in to the giftings God has called her to. The context of Deborah's time was not one that was super female-friendly, right? It wasn't a context where it made sense that a woman would be the leader of a blooming nation. But that didn't stop Deborah, right? When God called her into action, she didn't say, oh, no, thanks, God, I'm just a woman. She could have, and the story would have been completely different. But she did not place modifiers on herself that God didn't put there. She's an unforgettable woman because she said yes to God. She's unforgettable because she didn't let society or her own self-doubt dictate what God was willing to do through her. She's unforgettable because there came a moment for faith or fear, and she stood firm. She stood firm in the faith for her military leaders, for, for her entire nation, she stood. So what about you? I know we're just kind of getting to know each other here, but what about you? What dreams and visions and God-sized goals have God placed on your heart? What's that thing, that thing that's been nudging you over and over again, but you always silence it with a reason why you can't do it. Do you all know what I'm talking about? What's that idea that as soon as you think about it, or maybe even as soon as you, as you speak it, you always follow it with, but I could never do that. This would be really cool, but I could never do that. What's God calling you to? with no modification, you, just as you are, what's God calling you to do? I really want you to think about that. Like I said, we get back to the story wraps up with the song of Deborah. And it is a song, it's a piece of poetry most likely written by her at the end of the battle. You can find it in Judges 5. So I'm going to read a couple of that. And if you've got your Bibles, you can read along. And I think it's, it's, on, it's on the screen too. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. 
Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, I will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Eden, you, the earth shook. The, the heavens, they, they poured God. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar and in the days of Jael, the highways, they were totally abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel, they wouldn't even fight. They held back. They held back until I, Deborah, until I arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. But not a shield or a spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes or commanders, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Now, I'll be honest here. This isn't the catchiest song that I've ever heard in my life, right? I even kind of practiced setting it to the tune of Don't Stop Believing, you know, like, when the princess, but it didn't, it didn't work, okay? And, and it's supposed to be a little odd, and it's supposed to be a little off, because the poetry in this section is actually believed to be one of the oldest pieces of scriptures we have in our Bible. In fact, the poetry in this section is the oldest piece of Hebrew poetry that we have access to today. That's incredible, right? A song written and sung by a woman in the 12th to 13th century BCE that has stood the test of time. The song of a woman that's lasted generations of stories and it's lasted generations through people who would rather it not have been there. It's lasted through today with people who still would rather not have this example of a woman in leadership. It has lasted through four, almost 4,000 years. And it comes to us this morning, here in this space, from 4,000 years ago, with a message. And I think it's asking you a similar question that I asked earlier, but a little different. I think from 4,000 years, Deborah is asking us, what's your song? What's your song of victory going to be? What's your song of praise the Lord is going to give to you? You've already been writing it, if you didn't know. The way I see it, every good song has three important parts, right? What does it have? The verses, the chorus, and if you're lucky, a pretty solid bridge, right? And the way I see it, the verses are the things in our lives that are ever-changing and ever-happening. And sometimes we get a choice in what they are, and sometimes we don't. But they are the verses of our lives. And then I think about the chorus. And to me, the chorus is the piece that we keep coming back to. That thread that we see throughout our whole lives. For me... That thread is the faithfulness of God. That thread is the hope of Christ. That no matter what the verses say, I can come back to that chorus 
and I can stand strong on that. And sometimes we have a bridge, right? Sometimes our verses are getting a little long and they're getting a little tedious and we just don't want to be in them anymore. And so we come to the bridge and that bridge does what? It loops us right back to the chorus, to the songs of our hearts. And when we find that bridge, when we find that loop back into the thread of God, that's where the fun starts. Some songs have it better than others, but it's what loops us back. I believe it's Christ that loops us back to the heart of God. And there's this playlist that's been going on for your whole life if you weren't aware of it. And maybe you know some of the songs like when you first got your driver's license and you're driving down the car by yourself for the first time and the windows were down and you were singing at the top of your lungs, right? Or maybe that song that your college roommates and you all jammed out to. And even today when you see each other, you play that song for the memories. Or maybe it's the song from the first dance at your wedding. Or maybe, maybe it's the hymn that you remember from your parents' funeral. Or maybe it's, it's the worship song that was played at your daughter's baptism. There are all these songs in our playlist of life, and another one of them is the song of Deborah singing over you. For 4,000 years, for you in this moment, to get to plug in to the victory song of God. And so maybe it's time that you add your own song to the playlist. Want to write a song? Do you want to write a song that lasts for 4,000 years? Do you want to write a song with your life about your saying yes to whatever God has called you to do? And people for generations are still talking about that yes. Do you want to write a song for the generations to come? A song of faithfulness and a song of hope. A song that even when the odds were insurmountable, you still stood steadfast. Do you want to sing a song? Will you pray with me this morning? So God... Thank you for calling us. We know, that, we know that you don't need us. We know that we don't even have that much to offer you, but we know that you love us anyways, and that you're good, and that you're faithful, and that you're just, and that you have mercy for us, God. And so this morning, this morning as we find ourselves struggling with, what is it that you've called us to? What is it that you want us to do, God? Would you give us the faith of Deborah? Would you give us the faith that whatever this God-sized dream or this God-sized vision that you've placed on our hearts, would you give us the faith just to say yes? And it's different for each of us, God. For some of us this morning, our yes is just saying yes to you for the first time in our lives. And for some of us this morning, it's saying yes to, to a change in jobs or a change in career or a change just in our family.
And so God, this morning, would you open our hearts to whatever it is that you want to do? Would you flood this place with your song for us? And would you help us write a new one, a song of victory and a song of praise to you, O oh God? It's in your son's merciful and holy name that we